We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. So I want to start off by saying Happy New Year's. Happy New Year's. It's still New Year's, right? Um, I think it is. I was telling the, the, the first service that um, you can tell that it's New Year's still because the resolutions are still intact. How's your resolutions doing? Pretty good? You're still holding on? Um, the gyms are still packed, right? Even though my son works for in and out and he told me in and out was packed last night. Salads are still being consumed. The credit cards are still put away. Uh, statistics show that it takes roughly three and a half weeks, 24 days, uh, for people's resolve to break. And so I don't want to undermine um, any of your resolutions. I know that some of you have some serious resolutions, especially the spiritual resolutions, to be in the Word of God, to be in fellowship. I'm proud of you that uh, the California rain didn't stop you from coming to church today. Um, but I want to talk about a topic in which our resolve must be unbreakable. It's a resolution that we cannot afford to break, um, because it's how we respond to this, to this topic, this issue, that's going to determine our walk, um, not only in 2015, but forever, uh, for the rest of our life while God has us here on this earth. It's something uh, that's known in, in, in Christianity as spiritual warfare. Have you heard of that before? Are you uh, hip to spiritual warfare? Do you know what that means? I remember when I first became a Christian, I was blessed to be in a, in a Bible study at my brother-in-law's house that was really, really just intimate, and we would get into the Word, and we would talk about the Word, and the subject of, of just enjoying God came up, you know, and I was a new believer, and I was just like, wow, God is so good, look at the blue sky, and, you know, just all the things that you're doing when you're a new believer, you know, you're just like an, on, on a cloud, you know, blessed with God's forgiveness, God's grace, we should never, ever lose that. But there was a brother next to me while I was saying that who pounded his, his fist on the table. And he said, it's not about smelling flowers. We're in a war, you know. And I thought, frankly, I'll be honest with you because you're my friends. I thought, this dude's nuts, you know. And he was. But the reality is, is that I walked away from that, taking away some truth with me. Taking away the fact that we are in a war. That, that there is spiritual warfare. That even though we don't see it, that it's here within us. Do you know that the devil goes to church? He's here. You know, as you're sitting here worshiping and somebody, you know, his phone rings and you're thinking in your head, how rude, you know, this. that's the devil working inside of you. He comes to church while you're here concentrating on the, on the words of the songs and, and supposedly putting your attention to who God is and you're thinking of other things. You're thinking of in and out afterwards. You're thinking of other things. That's the enemy swooping in trying to steal the glory from God. And you could laugh, and you can disregard it, but spiritual warfare is true. Um, you know, today, we're going to really, really only scratch the surface, if that, on what spiritual warfare uh, means. But with our time, I hope to, to look at three things. Uh, who the enemy is, uh, what the enemy's plan of attack is, and how do we stand against him and his attack? Uh, when I think of spiritual warfare, I can't think of a, a better passage than to study, than to read, than the one found in Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, um, to be exact. 
Um, just to give you a little synopsis of the letter to of, of the uh, Ephesus church, it was a, it was a, a letter written by Paul, a, a true masterpiece of a, of a Pauline letter. Uh, because when you look at the 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 letter to the Ephesian church, you could really split it down the middle. I read it this morning, and I want to encourage you to read it. If you haven't read through it, read it. You could read it in a 30-minute, 35-minute, you know, sit down, just you and your Bible, read through Ephesian letter. You're going to be blessed. Just how masterfully Paul deals with the issue of God's master plan, of God's plan of redemption for us, of God's plan of salvation for us, on how in him we are truly rich. We have everything. Our bank account is it is stocked because of Christ, because of who he is. The first part of Ephesians is really about our positional stance in the Lord, what it means to be Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's positional. Right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again, positional. We need to know these verses because our positional stance in Christ is so, so important. Ephesians 2, 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The second half of, of the Ephesian letter deals with our practical walk. How are we going to respond to the grace? How are we going to respond sitting in that position of grace? How are we going to respond to this great love that God has given us through Jesus Christ? And it starts to kind of go into that other phase, starting in Ephesians 2.10, where it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them there. It's positional about what Christ has done for us, and then boom, verse 10 of chapter 2, for we are his workmanship, created for a purpose, for what? For good works. For good works that we should walk, that God prepared for every one of you. He has a plan, he has a purpose for everyone in this room. So the second half of Ephesians, Paul touches on all kinds of things, on the behavior that we should have as Christians because of the grace that he's given us, not only because it's our reasonable duty, according to Romans 12.1, but also because it's a template to a victorious Christian living. Also because it's a template that's going to help us to stand against the attacks that are constantly upon us. If you're a Christian, you're constantly being hit with attacks. And so this this passage here that we're going to go over is just that. So look, in Ephesians, Paul goes on to deal with being united in Christ. He deals with the responsibility that we have with the gifts that God has given us. In the second part of Ephesians, what has to do with our practical walk, he talks about not having the world influence us, how we're to be in the world but not of the world. He touches on being cooperative with the Spirit and Him living inside of us and leading us, not quenching, not grieving the Spirit. He addresses the importance of walking in the light, walking in wisdom, walking in love. In chapter 5, we know chapter 5, we should. If we're married, we definitely should because he deals with what a marriage should look like as Christians, Right? What a marriage should represent as someone who has received the grace of God. Not a marriage that looks like the world, but a marriage that is dying to self. A a marriage that is submitted to self. You know, it talks about how we should be husbands. It talks about how we should be wives. It talks about how we should be parents, how we should be children, how we should be employers, how we should be employees. Paul deals with everything in this 
Ephesian letter. And then in, in, in chapter 6, as he's closing the letter, he ends it with this kind of roadmap, this template on how to deal with spiritual warfare. Watch. Let's read verses 10 through 12. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. If you're in Ephesians chapter 6, please turn there. Um, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the, the goal of, of, of this study, for me at least, is to talk about who the enemy is, what's the enemy's plan of attack, and how do we stand against the enemy. And so just reading that passage there in verses 10 through 12, it tells us that we have an enemy, huh? It tells us who our enemy is. It tells us that the enemy is the devil, a.k.a. the accuser, the slander, the deceiver, the father of lies, the wicked one, Lucifer, Satan. Here in Almani, some of you know him as Chamuco. Those of you that don't speak Spanish say, what? But those of you that do, you know. I knew him from playing Loteria when I was a kid. How many of you guys ever played Loteria, Mexican Loteria? Okay, you know what's up, right? El Diablo. You just, you, you, we have this character in our mind of a guy in a red suit with horns on his head, with a, with a tail, and with a pitchfork, right? That's just the character that we have in our mind. And, and the thing is that he's succeeded in, in, in camouflaging himself that way. See, the problem with the church is that we don't have a biblical balanced view on who the devil is. And that's where we start. We start with identifying that the devil exists, that there is true spiritual warfare, and that exists, that he wants to hit us, hit us with everything that he has. But then now we say, okay, what is the biblical balanced view of who the devil is? And, and the problem with us as a church, and I'm not saying in this church because you guys are taught well, um, and, and hopefully you guys are in your word and you have a good balanced view, but I'm talking about the church overall. Um, we fall into two categories. We fall on the one side where we ignore the devil, where we kind of, you know, uh, cartoon him into thinking that he's that red man in the suit, you know. Uh, the, the devil wears Prada, the world says, you know, all, all kinds of things about the devil. We, we, we just, we have that, that mind, that picture in our mind of who he is. And so we, we kind of ignore him. In fact, that survey was taken in 2009 by a group called the Barma Group, which is a, kind of a Christian group that takes statistics, mostly of people that call themselves Christians. And they found that six out of ten Christians didn't view the devil as a living being, but just as a symbol for evil. Instead of calling evil, evil, and giving the credit to the devil for evil, what does society do? Society instead finds a reason for the evil, huh? I mean, I, I haven't really paid too much attention to what's going on in the news, but I would think that right now the, the, the experts and the psychologists and all that with everything that's going on with, you know, these terrorists, these crazy maniac evil people that killed those people in France, they're trying to find a reason why they did it. Oh, it was their childhood. Oh, it was their religious background. Oh, it was, you know, the poverty level that, that they grew up in. You know, there's always a reason. Instead of calling evil for evil, we, we, we blurt out this diagnosis that something must have happened to them. Somehow, some way, the world must have failed them. Somehow. When the truth is that, that evil exists, yes, there's people with problems. 
And yes, our, our, our upbringing affects those things and the decisions that we make, but ultimately evil exists. And the devil is like a puppet master holding the strings, using all the different things that we deal with growing up in the hood, growing up in Almani, growing up in this area, not having a dad, all these different things to maneuver, to use our flesh, to entice us, to ultimately get us to go to hell. So instead of giving credit to an evil force, they, they, they throw out this diagnosis, something went wrong. What went wrong is evil. What went wrong is that the devil does exist. Now, I could understand that, you know, the world believes this way, right? Because the world is, doesn't believe in God, and of course, they don't believe in the devil. But what about the church? Could it be that we don't believe God's word and what it says is the truth? Because God's word plainly says that there is this entity called the devil, and we need to take him serious. Again, I think it's about not having a good biblical uh, balance a viewpoint on who the devil is like manny taught last week it's bad theology or for that matter it's no theology the, the devil has power and we need to know it paul could have used as he describes him here just the the, the he could have just used the description of the devil and his demons but look what, what he what he does he describes them as principalities as powers as the rulers of the darkness of this age a spiritual host of the wickedness you know, I've heard a lot of teachers um, kind of give a, a, a expound on this passage that say, look, you know, you're not really fighting against your, your enemy. You're not really, when you're in an argument, you're not really uh, uh, fighting against uh, your, your wife. It's the devil behind it. And, and while that's true, um, we also know that people do evil things, right? And, and that people, you know, make bad decisions and we make bad decisions, um, the problem with the church is that we ignore the devil. The other problem, the flip side of that, is that we put too much emphasis on him. Have you ever met someone like that? That, like, you know, for instance, it's raining right now, right? And you're like, oh, it's raining. It was the devil that did it. <laughs> but we're in a drought, bro. We need the rain, man. The drought was a devil, too. The, the devil did it. You know, everything's a devil, right? And we got we to gotta have a biblical, balanced viewpoint, guys. We got to know that he's formidable. We got to know that he's attacking us. We got to know that he's constantly coming after us. But we also got to know that better is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We got to know that as Christians, we stand on grace. We stand on the promises of God. We have to have a good biblical viewpoint. The Bible warns us about the devil, right? He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So on one side, it's a total disbelief of the existence of the devil, a side that, of course, the devil loves, right, because he can work um, behind the scenes. If, if you ever get a chance, read this book, Strategies of Satan. How many of you ever read this book, just out of curiosity? Okay, we got a couple of you. Um, those of you that haven't read it, I really want to encourage you to read it, but get ready, like, you know, because <laughs> you're going to get hit. The devil does not want you to read this book. Because Warren Worsby, who's a, who's a blessing of a, of a pastor and a teacher, been walking with the Lord and, and, and uh, in the ministry for a long time, really gives a good description on the different methods that the devil uses. You see, the devil, he's going he's gonna to lure us. He's going to unsure us. And he's going to detour us. And we'll talk a little bit about that more. So one side is you ignore him. The other side is you're consumed with him. We need to have a good biblical viewpoint on who the devil is. 
the Greek word for the word wiles that we read here is the, the word metadia, which is where we get the word for method, uh, which means technique, routine, or mode. It's a scheme. It's his MO, his modus operandi, right, to throw us off his trail by leading us in these two directions. And what we need to do is we need to know his word, God's word, so that we're in the middle. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. Notice Paul doesn't tell us to be strong in the devil in order to defeat him. He tells us what? To be strong in the Lord. Right? We need to be strong in the Lord. And sometimes you meet these Christians and they want to go out and they want to cast out demons and they want to just go off. You know, and the Bible did not make us fishers of demons. He made us fishers of men. We need to concentrate on Jesus Christ and who he is. Notice Paul doesn't tell us to be strong in the devil. He tells us to be strong in the Lord. Huh? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God. We have an enemy. He's the devil, the slander, the created angel who, because of pride, opposed God right, and was punished. And now he's his adversary, not his equal, but his adversary. And because he's God's adversary, he makes him, makes him our adversary, right? He's a formidable foe with a lot of power, and he intends to use it against us. But we need to know that the weapons that he uses have been, in a way, minimized by Jesus Christ. And, and so we look at who is the enemy. The enemy is the, the, the deceiver, the slander. What does he do? What is his plan of attack? In short, he lies. That's how he attacks us. That's how he attacks us as Christians. He feeds those lies through our sinful flesh and through this fallen world. He lies to us to entice us to sin. Huh? He shows us the bait, but not the hook behind it. Take it. It's good. It's, no one will know. Scratch that itch. No, one, no one's going to be hurt by it. And then, boom, we take the bait, the hook is behind it, and all of a sudden, man, we're just flapping around like a fish. And not only are we hurt, but our families hurt. Those that love us are hurt. That's how the devil attacks us, through lies. He lies to us, saying sin is okay when it's not. He lies to us even by using God's grace. Remember, God is gracious. God will forgive you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He hides God's holiness. Right? And it's true, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. We should know that verse, but we also should know the verse that I am holy, therefore you be holy. That's one of the ways that we minimize the devil's attacks, is by being holy. It's funny because, you know, the devil, I told you he comes to church, and he's very, very present in the church, and he has the ability to make a Christian, someone who just received the Lord by faith, and put his trust into Jesus Christ into a legalist. You know what a legalist is? Someone that is all about the law. Someone that doesn't respond by, with grace. Someone that is just by the book. And usually it throws the book more at other people than they, they do themselves. They're legalists. And that is so far away from the heart of Jesus Christ. So that's one side. The other side is the opposite of that. Someone that's all about grace. No holiness. You know, nothing about, you know, hey, no, nah, it's okay, brother, you could do that. You know, don't worry about it. The, the, the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. No, we need to be in the middle. We need to know his attacks. His attacks are going to be to lie to us. Another way that he attacks us is through illness. Huh. You know, he uses our body. If he can't get to our heart, he's going to get to our body. That's one of the things that Warren Worsby addresses in the book. 
And some of you are sick. Some of you have loved ones that are sick, seriously sick. And boy, does that doubt creep in, huh? Does that, God, where are you? Where'd you go? Know that that's a lie from the enemy. God is there. God is there to sustain you. God is there, and there's a reason why we're going through what we're going through, and God has a plan. There's all kinds of ways that the enemy deceives us, and we need to know his MO. Anytime anyone goes to war, any army goes to war, they find out who the enemy is, and they find out his method of attacks in order to respond to those attacks. You know, the devil, he lies to us, guys. One of the the, the beautiful passages that counters the devil's lies when he slanders us, because what he does is he'll tempt us, he trips us, and then when we're on the floor, he'll put his foot on our neck and he'll keep us down there with condemnation. What kind of a Christian are you, Henry? You know, look at, look at you know, the type of father that you are. Look at, you know, the, the time that you spend in prayer. Look at all these things and he'll hold you down there. And if you stay there, he'll keep you down there forever. But we have to know the word of God. We have to know the word of God because the word of God will counter these attacks by the devil. Watch, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John. First um, John, we're going to read verses 4 through 9. But I'm going to start with just verses 4 through 7. This is a beautiful passage that diffuses the accusation and the slander of the devil. We have an enemy. He's the devil. His attack is to lie. How do we counter that attack? Well, this is a great passage for that. It says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Verse 4. Verse 5, this is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So this is how we lessen the attacks of the devil. We, we try to live a holy life. Like our pastor says, not sinless, because we're not going to be sinless. But we are to sin less. And the way we do that is by being in the word. The, the, our pastor Raw always says, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. Are you in the word daily? I bet you some of you started your New Year's resolution this year. Lord, I'm going to read. I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to study your word. How's that going? I pray that you don't give up. That's one of the New Year's resolutions you must not break. And if you get off one day, it's okay. The next day, get right back on. Because we need to know his word. We lessen the slander that the devil slanders us with, with the word of God. 1 Peter 1, uh, 15 through 16 says, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So you live a holy life. You do your best to live a holy life, empowered by the Spirit of God, because without God's Spirit, you are powerless. You can't do it. You can't do it. But if we do sin, and if we do have sin, which we all sin, look at verses 8 through 9 in 1 John. um, says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there it is, the two sides. You you live by the power of the Holy Spirit a holy life, a proper life to minimize the slander of the devil. But when you do fall, and we will, 
You allow the grace of God to catch you. You allow the love of God to catch you. You stand on the strength of the word of God and on the promises of the word of God to catch us when we fall. You know, one thing that, that Manny has told us and that I've taken to heart, the only way to ever lose is to quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Know that you are covered by the blood of God. Know that you stand on the promises, such as it says here, that if you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. But if you are faithful to give your sins to God, he is also faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We stand against the slander, guys, and the accusations of the devil by walking in holiness, but also by being strong in the grace found in God through Christ. We defeat the lies of the devil not by ignoring them, or by going to the other side and becoming spiritual demon busters. We defeat lies with the truth. You know, earlier Richard wanted to read the devotional, right? Or the, the bulletin, and, and the lights weren't on. And so he said, give me light. Well, that's how we defeat the devil. We turn on the light. That's how we do it. Don't ignore him. He's real. He wants to get you. He's aiming for your throat. But know that he's a gummed tie, a gum lion. He doesn't have the teeth that he once did as Christians. He'll, he'll, he'll roar at you. He'll swing at you with his paw. But those ferocious teeth of death, of condemnation, of the law are no longer with him if you are a Christian. If you're not, you're on your own. If you're not, you're naked. If you're not, you're his puppet. And he's just moving you along. But if you are, stand strong in the word of God and what he says. Recognize that spiritual warfare is real, that the devil is real, that he is your enemy, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. John fourteen six, Jesus said, So am I on the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the truth. We stand in the truth. We defeat lies with the truth. So we've addressed who is the enemy. We've addressed who's, what's the, this plan of attack. How do we respond to the attacks? Well, we're given the armor of God. Thank God for the armor of God. Thank God that God, man, through the Holy Spirit, moved the man like Paul the Apostle to write this because this is a template for us on how to stand against these attacks that are just coming one after another. It's through putting on the whole armor of God. Huh? That's what verse 11 tells us. Look at verse 13. Again, Paul emphasizes putting on the whole armor of God. Back to Ephesians. Sorry about that. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 6 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and, and having done all to stand. If we want to be able to stand... During the evil day, it has to be God's armor. you got to put on God's armor. We have to know what God's armor is, and we're going to read it. God's so cool, he's going to give it to us right now. And not only that, but it has to be the full armor. We can't just wear the helmet and walk out in a T-shirt and think we're cool. We need the full armor of God. And, and, and I want you to, to, to think, you know, the armor that is given in this passage isn't for offensive. But for, for defensive, anytime you put on the armor, it's for defense, right? And, and the word stand that we read here in verse 13 doesn't give us the idea of just casual standing, but actually digging in, facing the enemy, standing on the promises of God. Notice that it says that you may be able, and then it says having done all to stand. What does that tell us? That we stand no chance of standing without the armor of God. We need the armor of God. 
the evil day that it describes, or how many of you have had that evil day? Some of you have, huh? That evil day, David raises his hand. That evil day describes just that day when the, 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 the enemy, more than usual, is just hammering you one thing after another. The saying in the world says, when it rains, it pours, huh? Can you imagine on that evil day, you know, you're getting hit left and right. What are you going to tell the devil? Hey, time out. I forgot my helmet. I don't have my belt. I need to go get my sword. Can you hold on one minute? No, man. He's, gonna, he's, he's an opportunist. He's going to hit us. He's going to devour us because we're not wearing the armor of God. We need to wear it all the time. So let's talk about the armor. Look at what it says in verses 14 through 17. Read with me. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us this template on how to be able to walk this walk. Have you ever um, seen uh, or read the book Pilgrim's Progress? It's a great book. I, I encourage you to read that. I'm just filling you up with books, huh? Read. Read more in 2015. Um, it's a book about someone that has burdens on his back, right? And he meets these characters, and he meets the evangelist, and the evangelist points him to the cross, and this guy walks you know, with all these burdens on his back to the cross. And you would think when he gets to the cross that that's it. The burdens fall off his back. He's free. He's rolling in the grass. He's happy. Made it home free. But they say, oh, no. The, the, the work is not done. There's still work to do. You see that city up on that hill, that celestial city? That's your destination. you got to get there. And while you're getting there, you're going to go through all kinds of obstacles. That's us. We're going to go through all kinds of obstacles. We're going to get hit. God is not only preparing a place in heaven for us, he is preparing us for heaven. And this is the way that we go down the smooth road, by wearing the armor of God. So look at the first armor that it tells us. It says that we are to gird our waist with truth. The first, the first piece of the army is the belt. When it says gird their waist, what that signified, Paul was given a, a, a metaphor of, of a Roman soldier. What that signified is the Roman soldiers would wear like a dress kind of, right? And they would have like a girdle, which was their belt. And when time of war came, they would pick up their garment and they would tuck it into their belt. So they would have freedom of movement. Right? Ladies, those of you that wear dresses, you don't have a lot of freedom of movement. Some of you do, but, you know, not a lot, right? You need freedom of movement. And so the soldiers would pick it up, gird it, and that would hold everything. Well, that's the belt of truth for us. We've got to stand on the truth because it holds everything together. We must stand on the truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth will make us lose loved ones, family, friends, but we've got to stand on the truth. Also, the truth for us is that it's his righteousness and not ours. It's what he did on the cross and not our walk. Our walk, God is preparing us. He's making something in us to happen. He's preparing us. He's creating us to the image of his son. But it's not about our walk. It's about what Christ has done for us. The devil deceives us. He lies to us. He says, you're not a Christian. What kind of a Christian are you? No, it's not about me, devil. It's about Christ. And it's true. Agree with him. I always agree with the devil when he slanders me. You're right. Absolutely right. But I have an advocate. But Jesus Christ paid for my sins. 
and it's him who I look to for help. And so we got to stand wearing this belt. The, the, the garment is the whole truth. It's the whole Bible. we got to know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Paul the Apostle says, I have given you the full counsel of God. we got to know his word so that we can stand in its word. And it's interesting, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 21, it says that the Bible is the scripture of truth. Look it up. We got to stand in truth. We got to wear that bell. It's the truth that keeps us going. Guys, Martin Luther, who gave up everything, if you know anything about Martin Luther, he gave up everything for the truth. He almost lost his life because of the truth. Was quoted as saying, Peace if possible, but truth at any rate. The bell of truth is essential, not only because we need to hold on to the truth, because the truth holds on to us. That's what keeps us going. Because there's going to be days where we doubt. There's going to be days where it's just, it's just bad, but we look to the truth. And that's why it's important that we gird our waist with the bout of truth. The second piece of the army described by Paul is the breastplate of righteousness. Notice again, it's not an offensive piece of the army, but a defensive piece. The breastplate was worn to protect the most important organs, right? It, it went from the neck to the bottom. And it protected your heart, it protected your lungs, it protected everything. And so now you get the visual, right? Why do we need that? Well, we need to protect our heart. The devil is aiming right at our heart. We need to protect it. We need to have the attacks of the devil bounce off the breastplate of righteousness. And again, remember, it's not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. We share with the spiritual breastplate to protect our heart against any lies that the enemy tells us. We need it because he's a liar. He's a deceiver, and he'll lie to us. And he's a good liar, too. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the breastplate of righteousness is not about our righteousness. Yes, God calls us to live a holy life, but this breastplate that protects our heart protects us from the lies that it's about us. It's about him. So when the devil lies to you and he says you can't get in because of what you've done, you tell him, I got the breastplate of righteousness. I'm more in Christ's righteousness, his imputed righteousness. I go because he made a way for me. The third piece of the army that it describes here is the sandals. This is having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 15. Now this is important because it's about standing. We have to stand. We're not called to fight, in essence, with the devil. We're called to stand against his attacks. Jesus is the one that does the fighting for us. We're no match for the devil. I want to remind you of that. But he's no match for God. And God will be the one fighting our fights for us. These sandals that the Roman soldiers would wear were strapped, and they, would, they, would, they fit the foot perfect, and they actually would put, like, cleats underneath them, like, Football players, you're probably thinking, hurry up because I want to watch a football game. But like football players wear, you know, that dig into the ground and, 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 and they're able to have their balance. That's the, the, the sandal that it's describing here as it says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. The vision was meant to convey that a Christian needs to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand in the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel we should all know what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, that he took our place on the cross for us. 
And that in itself should give us peace. That's the message that we have as Christians. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. Like Paul the Apostle says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You have that power. You need to communicate that to the world. You need to believe it yourself. And you need to communicate that to the world because it's that power that could only bring peace to this world. The only way to have peace, the only way to have the peace of God is to have peace with God. Have you made peace with God? If you don't have peace in your life, then I would seriously ask you to ask yourself, do I have peace? Do I have the peace of God? We need the peace of God. We need to communicate the gospel. Because peace is what's produced literally when we have a relationship with God, when we're good with God. Not because we're good, but because he's paid for our badness. Romans 10, 15 says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. We have a message of peace to this world that we need to give, and we need to prepare ourselves to give it. Look at the fourth piece of the armory. It's the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is, this is pretty cool because it's the only piece of the armor where Paul tells us what it's to be used for. That you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The rest of the armor, of course, is inferred. But, but it, you know, when you think of, of, of a shield, the Roman soldier was given two shields. He was given the Captain America shield. You guys all can follow me, right? And then he was given this shield called the door by the Roman soldiers. Who here has seen the latest Hobbit movie? Okay, a couple of you. There's a scene in that movie where the, the, the soldiers have this shield that's like a door, and as they're going up against the enemy, they put the shield in front of them, and they duck, and all the darts, all the fiery darts that are coming hit the shield. And what they would do, the Roman soldiers would drench this shield in water because it was a, a, a Eastern practice back in those days in the time of war to dip the darts in, in some kind of combustible chemical and light it on fire and shoot it at your enemy. And so they would drench these shields with water and they would hide behind them. And that's what faith is. We cannot survive without faith. The Bible in Hebrew tells us that's the only way that we can please God is by having faith. Right? Romans tells us that, hate, that, that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need faith. We need to stand behind faith when those fiery darts come. And boy, do they come, huh? The devil is constantly shooting those fiery darts. I like what Warren Worsby wrote. It says, the faith mentioned here is not saving faith, but rather living faith, a trust in the promises of God. So we trust in the living faith, but what about, or we trust in the saving faith, but what about the living faith once we're saved? We receive grace in, in, from the get-go when we ask Christ into our heart, but do we stay in that place of grace? We've got to stay in that place of grace. And having faith does that. The word for quench here means to extinguish. It means to put out, referring to a light or to a fire. Metaphorically, um, it speaks of seizing or uh, thwarting or blocking the enemy's activity. The, the devil's sole purpose is to make us lose heart. That's his, that's his only attack against us, to make us lose heart. And so he lures us by causing us to sin, and then he accuses us of the sin. He destroys our life with the hook behind the sin. 
Or he'll unsure us by giving us bad doctrine or no doctrine. By making us lazy to not read our word and not know our word and just take whatever TBN has for us. Are you serious? Read your word. Know what they're saying. It doesn't matter where in this church, in that church, on TV, anywhere. Read your word. Be Bereans. Know what they're saying. Put us to the test. He'll deceive us in other ways. He'll deceive us by detouring us. You know what? It's about my career. It's about providing for my family, and it is. It is, but not at the, at the sake of forgetting God. You think that's God's plan for your family? That you go out there and you be a provider and you forget the spiritual responsibility that you've been given as a father and as a mother? No. So he lures us, he unsures us, and then he deters us. It's about the money. i got to make the money. God will be there. Really, but will you? You've got to be very, very careful. The last two pieces of the armor... Um, is the helmet of salvation. And, of course, that's obvious, right? I mean, just like the, the breastplate of righteousness, we need that helmet of salvation because if the devil gets to our minds, it's only 18 inches from our heart. Have you ever met a Christian, or might be, that might be you, who's unsure of their salvation, who's always walking around saying, I don't even know if I'm saved, bro. Well, do you trust Christ? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? Yes, then you're saved. It's not on your righteousness, it's on his righteousness. That's what the helmet of salvation does. It reminds us, again, it, notice the pattern. It's not about us, it's about hit him. Look at the, the, the other um, piece of the army, which is basically the only offensive piece of the army, and that's the sword of the spirit. Now, what's the sword of the spirit? Thank you, God, for telling us, huh? So that we don't have to expound or guess at what it is. It's the word of God. That's how we combat the enemy's attack, with the word of God. Remember when Jesus was, was tempted in the wilderness? How did he respond to that temptation? How did he respond to those attacks? With the word of God, right? Everything was in response to the devil's attempts with the word of God, the rima, the spoken word. We need to know it so that we can respond with those same methods, with the word of God the sword of the Spirit. The sword that the Roman soldier was given was this little sword that you were able to manipulate in, in attacks. It was a double-edged sword so that no matter where the enemy came in, you were able to slice it. And that's what we do with God's Word. We slice the enemy's lies with the truth. The truth is that it's by grace that we've been saved, right? Not of works. It's by faith. Salvation is a gift from God. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon, and we should know how to handle it. The proper use of Scripture, guys, in spiritual warfare enables us, the Christian, to stand fast against these attacks. The attacks are going to come. We need to know that spiritual warfare is real. We need to know that we need to have all these weapons, all these, these, this piece of the armor on at all times. Um, we need to know it. Look at verse 18. This is kind of Paul's end of the, the metaphor of the, of the armor of God, but it's still an important piece of our armor. Look at verse 18. says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. 
So one pastor said, while this isn't the armor, it's still a piece of the soldier's tools. Think of it as the walkie-talkie of the soldier, right? In order for the, the soldier to, to, to be on pace, to be united with, with, with the commander, he needs to be in communication with the commander. And that's what prayer does. Notice here, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So that means you pray all the time about everything, all kinds of different things. Notice that it calls us to be watchful, to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that we ask God, what do you want me to pray about? Show me how to pray. Move in me to pray. Lord, I want to have this communion with me. Teach me. We need to be taught how to pray. It's only through his spirit that that can happen. And then lastly, look at with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That means we should be praying for each other. Do you guys pray for Calvary Chapel Almani? I don't mean for the building, but I mean for Pastor Manny, his wife, his family. Maybe me. Um, do you pray for each other? Do you know each other? I, I love when, you know, you guys stick around and you fellowship for a while and you get to know each other. But I, sometimes I trip out on the people that just leave. Don't just leave. When we shut the lights, then it's time to leave. But, but in the meantime, don't leave. <laughs> stick around. Get to know each other. Fellowship. Let each other know your weaknesses. Let each other know your struggles because we're called as the church, as the body, to be praying. That is one of the pieces of the armor, even though it's not an armor, that we need in order to protect us from the enemy. I like what Ian Bounds says. Ian Bounds says, What the church needs today is not more machinery or being better, not new organizations or, or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. It does not come on machinery, but on men. It does not come on anointed plans, but men, men of prayer. We've got to be a church that prays. We've got to be a church that uses our walkie-talkies and is constantly in communion with God. We need to be always dialoguing with the Lord. Because spiritual warfare is real. Because the devil is real and he's on the prowl. Remember, who's the devil? He's our enemy. What is his method of attack? He doesn't have too much now. All it is is lies. How do we counter the lies with the truth? That is how we respond to his lies. We're no match for him, but he's no match for God. In fact, he was defeated at the cross, huh? The Bible says that one day he will be cast into the lake of fire forever. So he's, he's defeated. In the meantime, he's pawing at you. He's trying to get you. He's trying to scare you. Don't believe the hype. Be in the word. Know his word. Know how to respond. Don't make too much of him. Don't make too little of him. Have a balanced view of him. And all the time, put on the armor. Like Manny said a couple weeks ago, pray the armor. Pray for the armor. Lord, help me to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to put on the the the. the belt of truth. Help me to put on the helmet of salvation. Remind me of who I am in you. We need that because we're going to be constantly attacked. But if we do that, then those things are going to be minimized. And the devil, he's not going to be able to attack us. He'll find a way, but not in, in, in these ways. Not, not in our faith. He'll get to our bodies. He'll get to other things, but not in our faith. We need to be strong in this. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study.
If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.